Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for the last day of the week. It is Friday, the 20th of May. And as always, it is a good day, a vital day to fight for life and liberty. How do you do so in a country, in a globe, where the doctors who are in charge of saving life, the scientists, are not only not saving lives, are not only persecuting those who do save lives, but they themselves are engaging in human experimentations. And I would say they're not really experimenting, they're just killing us. People don't understand the parallels to Nazi Nazi Germany. Okay, people do not realize this. And I want want to read to you um, from a journal article. This is in, where is this? The Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, 1997, Disease and Dictatorship, The Case of Hitler's Reich. If you want to look it up, yeah, you should read the entire thing, Dr. Michael Biddis, B-I-D-D-I-S-S. And, you know, I do this because we're going to have a special doctor on today. He's actually not really a doctor. He's a physician assistant, but he knows more than, than most doctors. And he lost his license for saving so many people, treating thousands of people. He's still treating people, by the way, to this day in ways that he could, you know, get them help, even though he lost his license. And... <clears throat> I couldn't help but prefacing this show with a reminder of the Third Reich. And he goes through noting how prominent the doctors were and this kind of medical, biomedical state. He called it a biocratic racial state. But it didn't start only with race. It was this purity. Um, He notes that Hitler was a germaphobe. And they really noted that the progression of science and public health trumped everything. The, the, the core tenet was that personal care and compassion, care and compassion for the individual patient, had to be sacrificed for the public good. That is exactly the era we are in now. That is the era we're in now. And he notes that this Professor Cater provides ample evidence that physicians became Nazified more thoroughly and much sooner than any other profession. We know, for example, that by 1936, at least half of Germany's non-Jewish doctors had become party members and that the level of enrollment was broadly sustained through 1945. Sheer opportunism was certainly one aspect of the matter. Talks about that. But... They note, and he quotes this Professor Proctor, who who is really the biggest historian on this, 
The phrase Jewish medicine was developed as a metaphor for all that was wrong in modern medical science and practice. It is kind of like the, those doctors prescribing, prescribing ivermectin, losing their licenses. Um, and he goes on to note that doctors could hardly fail to recognize that there were some constructive aspects to Nazi health policy. It offered continuity with certain features of the Weimar uh, welfare program whose progress had been uh, imperiled by the weak government and supporting a tougher regime. The medical profession certainly exposed itself to the coercive force of an enlarged state. But there was some positive influence from the doctor's side too. Okay? And think about it. You get all this money to the hospitals, all the research to the so-called scientists. It's all for the public good. Everyone goes along with it. This is how you had... Most of them went, went through it with it. I, I can't remember offhand, but there's a uh, actually a recent article from a year or two ago in Tablet Magazine. Why did doctors join the Nazis? If you Google it, it will come up. Uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing there. And if I remember correctly, the author notes that they joined uh, the Nazi party in the 1930s at seven times the rate of of other professions. So... What it demonstrates is that public health nationalism was not a side point to the Third Reich. It was actually the lead ship in their armada. That was the lead thing. Okay, so we don't need to reimagine, oh, this could happen again. This is what we're going through. Pro- Professor Proctor has a very powerful comment that's quoted here. One could well argue that the Nazis were not, properly speaking, abusing the results of science, but rather were merely putting into practice what doctors and scientists themselves had initiated. Many of the latter had long nurtured a reductionist biologism, suggesting that theirs was the key to some technical fix for all major social problems. While that belief facilitated their intellectual collusion with Nazism, so too did the new regime's own concern publicly to exploit rather than ever to repudiate the scientific renown uh, earned by Germany over recent decades. Check it out. Read that whole thing, Disease and Dictatorship, the case of Hitler's Reich in 1997. And folks, that's what we're up against here. I don't know what you do when you now have a global scientific medical establishment that is now going around the world with experimental vaccines that are not only harmful in themselves, but that they set the arson, they shed viruses that shouldn't be around, and then they seek to control you because there's a virus. And guess what? You got to get our vaccine, among many other things that you have to do. On May 7th, Okay, this was just two weeks ago. The first case of monkeypox was identified in the Western world. It was in the UK. Less than two weeks later, there are now like over 60 cases confirmed in 11 different countries outside of Africa. 43 in Portugal and the UK alone. How does that happen so quickly? And, and because it's in so many different countries that have one or two cases, you know there's likely more. WHO, coinciding with their pandemic treaty meeting, they're having an emergency meeting on monkeypox. How, how does this happen? It's very hard to spread. But the Daily Mail 
quotes Dr. Amesh Adalja, infectious disease doctor at, at Hopkins, who says that the virus is spreading via physical touch and that it only spreads through respiratory droplets in the air in people that are already exhibiting symptoms. Whoa. Touch droplets? It never spread that way. Why? Why would it? I hope it's a hoax. Because if it's not, it means this is one of their many gain-of-function researches. How is it that we are over two years into this and there is no effort on the part of state or federal Republicans to investigate and get to the bottom of who is behind this and to audit all of the areas where NIH, BARDA, DARPA, and other agencies are involved in gain-of-function research trying to jump zoonotic viruses to humans, this is all over the place. And to audit all of our vaccination programs. What are we working on? What's the nature of them? Where are they? Who's behind them? And how closely are they connected to all these outbreaks? We've had over two years. Oh no, we're moving on. I want to talk about uh, the Chamber of Commerce stuff. And in the case of the federal government... Mitch McConnell and everyone on down, including Ted Cruz. Oh, I want to talk about Ukraine. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we'll, we'll get to this a little bit more next week. I will be in and out next week because I'll be out in New Mexico for the Patriot Academy training. So our, our show shows, I, I should be able to do most of the week, but some of them will be a little bit irregular, pre-taped. You know, so I, I, I apologize ahead of time if I'm not at the top of my game. But I wanted to preface this for, for our guest today, who basically, like the Jewish doctors in, in the 1930s in Germany, is drummed out for actually putting the patient over public health nationalism and human experimentation. Now, by the way, I, I mean this only half tongue-in-cheek, Dr. Lynn Finn texted me yesterday and she said, did you know that nitazoxanide actually works for smallpox? You know, monkeypox is similar. Uh, Google nitazoxanide and smallpox and you'll, you'll see the article come up. So again, my promo code Daniel is still uh, available at 7cells pharmacy, 7cells.com. Um, it is unfortunately expensive because the stupid, we allow this one a company to buy it all up, but it's off patent. Our government could unleash this stuff for, for pennies on the dollar. Uh, it truly is a wonder drug. And who knows? We got, got to get ready for all this. Now, our interview today is sponsored by our friends at Policy Genius. I hate to be morbid, but folks, with all this stuff going on, I guarantee you life insurance rates are going to skyrocket in the coming months. A lot of people think they have coverage through their job, but the reality is it's not enough. Most people need 10 times more. What Policy Genius does for you, they're, they're not an insurance company. They're a broker, online broker, and they will aggregate for you the cheapest policies comparing all the options, quotes, apples to apples. Very easy, very quick to, to use. 
If you do this, you could wind up saving 50% or more on life insurance by comparing your quotes with Policy Genius. Their licensed experts could also help you. So it's not just, you know, some black hole website. You could call them up, speak with someone, and and find a tailor-made plan that that fits your family. Uh, the Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. That's how they make their money. So again, it's a responsibility for you. Since 2014, they have helped over 30 million people shop for insurance, placed $120 billion in coverage. So head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel and get your free life insurance quotes today. Folks, this is going to go up a lot in the coming weeks because you cannot ignore all this death and destruction. And speaking of all this death and destruction, there is one man I want to introduce to you guys. You guys need to know about him. And that's Scott Miller. And here's why. Amidst all this death and destruction, imagine you had 9-11 and all the firefighters were running in the opposite direction of the World Trade Center rather than running into it as they did. Or imagine if they actually blocked and assaulted those who tried to go in. Right? Of course, that never happened. But that is the metaphor for what did indeed occur in the medical profession throughout COVID. As we well know, we had research from day one that this was eminently treatable, and especially before what I call the Pfizer variant, before the viral immune escape in 2020, it was much less deadly, much more treatable, much slower moving, a little bit less thrombotic, a little bit less inflammatory disease. We could have gotten people immunity on the cheap and done. We would have been done with it. But of course, the medical profession defied every tenet of science, medicine. But as we noted, what it was really born out of was them getting roped into this fervence of public health nationalism, sacrificing the individual patient for a supposed national goal of public health. And this is how you get unanimity or near unanimity of opinion in any profession where you start censoring and intimidating anyone and then you threaten them with their license. So guess what? Everyone's either going to agree with what you're doing in their heart or even if they don't agree in their heart, practically they're not going to treat you. And this is really the biggest pro-life issue around, even more so than abortion. Because if you can't get access to treatment anymore, if every doctor is too scared to properly treat a patient then where do we go? Our next guest is possibly the man who has sacrificed more than anyone I know to treat the individual patient and to abide by the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, Scott Miller is actually not a full doctor, but he knows more than 90% of the ones, even the good ones that I've spoken to. He's a physician assistant. He owns Miller Pediatrics in uh, Washell, Washington State. It's southwest part of the state. And, you know, he was always known for being that cheaper, more affordable option who gave you better care, a lot of time. Um, Just a personal anecdote for you guys. Uh, As I was setting up this interview, he noticed that I'm still, you know, I sound all stuffed up, got this kind of sinus issue. And he's like, hey, you got to you got to deal with that. Here's what you should do with it. And that gives you a flavor of what was happening. He would always treat these ailments for kids. Kids have a lot of issues nowadays, not just physical, but behavioral, mental, all these issues with kids. He would spend the time with people. 
He was beloved in the community. So when COVID hit, you could imagine he was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to leave no man behind. Treat, treat, treat. Directly and indirectly treated several thousand people uh, really around the country, but mainly in that part of the state. And it's, it's truly an unbelievable story that I wanted to share with you. But then late last year, because, see, it wasn't just enough for him to treat patients outpatient and kind of keep quiet about it. He couldn't bear leaving anyone behind. So then even people that were hospitalized found out about him and they started using him as a patient advocate. Mind you, he never got paid for most of this stuff. And he would start fighting with the doctors. Well, that's how they found out about him. And then eventually he lost his license. He lost his medical license after everything he has done. Um, I, I do need you guys to go to the Give, Send, Go page. Reinstate Scott Miller, PA. Very, very important. And with us is Scott himself to tell his story. Hey, Scott, I'm sorry I didn't have you on last year, but at least I'm <laughs> rectifying that today. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Well, welcome to, to Blaze Media for the first time. And, and I again, I've been meaning to do this for about six months, and we got delayed. And then, you know, COVID kind of went by the wayside. But then now, with so many people getting sick, whether it's vaccine injury, whether it's immune suppression just because people were locked down, uh, whether it's mysterious viruses, and whether it is the current version of, of whatever you call SARS-CoV-2, People are in need of treatment, and more and more we're finding um, this this cruelty that was imbued in these doctors from day one uh, is continuing beyond COVID. Uh, this medical kidnapping, I know you're, you're actually working on a case for me of one of our longtime listeners from the state of Arizona, uh, a medical kidnapping case. Before we get to, to your personal experience, and then I do want to get to um, specific advice for people on, on treatment. Could you just give us a sense? Am I on the mark? Is it a little bit more complicated? How did so many doctors become this way? How did we get to the point with treating a respiratory virus that what doctors were doing and not doing would have been the equivalent of a heart surgeon flipping someone on their back and opening up from the back? How did we get here? Wow. Um, <laughs> Tall order. I think, I think, you know, initially when you have, you know, early on, I called it a virus of the media. Oh, I don't know how to shut this off. Um, yeah. So, by the way, yeah, uh, you're, you're in your clinic now. And just so people know, even though you lost your license. So, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging question. I think that, well, and early on when, you know, Fauci is, saying to the nation there's not not here are some basic things that we can do to boost our immune system like just common common sense things it was there's nothing you can do there's no treatment and we basically need to lock ourselves in our homes and hide and and just that seemed antithetical to everything we know about medicine science uh that that we that we can't do anything to to you know beat beat a virus if you will and and then i early on called it a, a virus of the media where every 
thing that we were hearing and seeing across every platform was was the same. It was, and, and anybody that said anything contrary was shut down. They were mocked. Um, you know, when Trump said, uh, you know, sunshine, vitamin D, uh, I, I forget what outlet it was, like New York Times, and it's like, you know, Trump says sunshine kills COVID. And it's like, no, no, he didn't say that. It, it was early on him saying, you know, just alluding to the importance of vitamin D. The, the extreme importance of vitamin D, and we've seen that play out where, where the the areas in the world that have you know the higher latitudes, there's a lot more severe infection, um, and so you know you've got this the the, the constancy of of pounding it, pounding it into our heads that there's nothing you can do, and then shortly after that, it was. It started, it started to come out that if you do do something with the CDC, you know, the CDC sets this precedent that, that you can't do anything except go home and take Tylenol. And, and so I think that, you know, since there weren't any large-scale random, you know, double-blind randomized trials, if, if you're going to try something anecdotally, you could get in trouble, right? Like that, that started early. This was before the, the whole uh, CDC checklist for the hospitals, which we knew early on was, was just diabolical, but um, I, I, we were programmed. And that programming, so you're saying they were programmed, it was media, it was peer pressure, so then they were set. And that's still that way. I mean, the problem is this is not like talking about in the past. It's still like that. Um, so, you know, people got wind of you. They started coming to you. Even though you're more pediatric, you dealt with kids. But older people got into trouble with COVID. Already in 2020, they were coming to you. And you started treating people. And, you know, your story is pretty similar to other people, although I think you might have treated more people than I've ever seen in America um obviously a lot of what you did was was you know for free you would constantly be on the phone constantly checking up on people uh, again that weren't your patients but then describe a little bit about give us an overview of what you would see in the hospital and when people would get, make you a patient advocate uh your conversations with the doctors okay so so like if if I'm a mechanic and I speak to a car mechanic um, I don't think the engine is in the trunk, okay? So, you know, you have two car mechanics speaking to each other. You're not going to have this conversation where you're that far apart. So we know they weren't giving them anti-inflammatories, weren't giving them too many anticoagulants, nothing that spoke to the pathophysiology of the virus, right? And what they did give were sedatives and opioids, which are kind of random to, to what was going on. If anything, slow your breathing. You would fight with them. Describe the back and forth that would take place. Well, and first, I mean, <clears throat> I wouldn't, I didn't fight with them. I, I mean, I was, I would let the families know if, first of all, just getting to the doctor, right? Getting past the nurse was extremely challenging. Um, the, the first time I was successful, fortunately, the family, I was with the family. We had been in an event and I found out that the, that 
his, you know, my friend's brother had gone into the ICU. So it was the brother, sister-in-law, and mother that were, and myself in the car, and his wife was homesick. Um, and so she was on speakerphone, and we called the, the hospital. And it was, it was a, just a, a miracle that we actually got the on-call doctor to take the call. And, you know, this is a gentleman that was about to be put on a ventilator, and he was getting high-flow oxygen, remdesivir, and six milligrams of dexamethasone. And I, I just had to kind of walk her through what, you know, like, what would you have done before COVID? Like, how would you treat a patient with acute respiratory disease or using respiratory failure? Um, it, it was never six milligrams of dexamethasone. He didn't have COVID pneumonia. He had a bilateral bacterial pneumonia, and he wasn't receiving any antibiotics. And so it, it was just kind of a back and forth of what was going on in his body, like the inflammatory markers and things that we know can help mitigate it, even though there weren't any large-scale studies on it. It was just trying to encourage her to be a hero and and, and be a doctor, like doctor him. Um, you know, use, use the practice of medicine to treat this man, and, and thankfully she did. She put him on IV antibiotics and you know, uh, oral doxycycline and changed it from 6 milligrams of dexamethasone to uh, 60 of methylprednisolone, which I, we were gunning for a lot higher, but she wow. every every six hours. So. Um, and the next day he was sitting up eating. Two days later he was up walking around, and uh, his daytime doctor actually called me, which is unheard of, and was just curious um, about why I'd recommended it, and he had actually uh, trained in Virginia where Merrick was, and he was talking about the vitamin C studies, and I was I was just asking if he could put him on vitamins, and, and he just kept talking about the studies, the studies that don't show efficacy. And so I pulled one up, and I just, I was laughing. I'm like, well, look at the doses they're using. You know, they're using 250 and 500 milligrams of vitamin C. <laughs> You know, so even in the study, that's not even a healthy like, dose. You know, it'd be like, yeah, I'm like, like if nobody says take 10 milligrams of Motrin, <laughs> right? Like, anyway, so um, he was at least curious. He was inquisitive, and and I was encouraged that that if we had families on the phone that could appeal to the humanity of the of the doctor, that you know, if it was their family member what would they do, right? They wouldn't just, basically they weren't doing anything. They're, you know, they'd ventilate them and just, you know, cross their fingers and wait for the body to magically overcome the, you know, so, um, so, you know, a lot of times, well, pretty much every time when I would advocate for something, they would say, well, there's just no studies. Well, that's not proven to work. Um, And these are not harmful things. Like these are like basic things that, you know, ciproheptadine or monoleucast or budesonide. Um, it, it, I just couldn't <laughs> wrap my brain around the resistance of doing something to save a person's life. Wow. Yeah. And, and that that's similar to other stories, but it does seem like you had some positive influence cases where they were like, yeah, you're right. And they took the call. So that is unique. Um, but then, you know, obviously you had negative stories as well. So could you 
Well, you know what? Let, let's first, before we do that, stay on the positive. Uh, were you ever able to get someone off a ventilator? And when I say that, I mean, obviously, you were never practicing in the hospital, so it wasn't, you didn't have your hands on the ball, really. Um, obviously, you would have been able to, but in the background, being a patient advocate, were you able to do that? Uh, yeah. Um, had a, a, a young lady, 40, like 45 years old, that walked into the hospital. She had pneumonia. And she was put on a ventilator within two hours. And um, I got a call from, uh, it was one of her best friends who is, uh, her, the kids were ex-patients of mine and she told me what happened. And so the next day, this woman's husband contacted me and then we contacted the hospital. And I, again, in any time we can get a hold of the, of the, treating physician is I considered a miracle and she we created a backstory where she had you know asthma and allergies so can she at least put her on the monolucast and ciproheptadine and she I can't believe she started budesonide she actually I advocated for acetylcysteine uh, mucomist nebulized which she did and she did IV thiamine and the higher dose vitamins and uh, three days later, she came off. Four days, three days later, she came off the vent, and I think within a week, she went wow. home. So, so they listened to you, and and again, so people know, and my audience already knows this. And this is basic. Yeah, stuff. it's not just about ivermectin. It's it's you know a number oh, of no. things, the right thing for the right ailment, and that's what you're doing. Um, did any of them kind of say, well, who are you? You're some PA. I'm a doctor. You know, did they have that attitude? Oh, oh. Uh, I, I had, I had some, some pulmonologists that were just irate that they were wasting my time, that I was wasting their time, and that there's absolutely nothing I could add to the conversation or anything that could be of any benefit whatsoever to helping uh, the patient that he was, you know, double board certified. And I mean, he was just the, an amazing, amazing doctor. And but that he would humor me. And uh, uh, it was a, about a 52 minute phone call. And he did, he completely switched up her regimen. And I got a phone call from the family two days later, just ecstatic about the improvement in her, in just all of her, all of her stats. Um, unfortunately, they had put her on remdesivir and baricitinib, and so she ended up getting a, a severe mm. pneumonia. Um, but she, you know, what you were talking about, you know, sed, you know, sedating and putting on on these medications that suppress the, the respiratory system. Uh, so over the course of a few weeks, we were able to get them to titrate her off of all of those. And she started, you know, blinking her eyes, wiggling her finger. Um, I mean, it was, it was horrible. I mean, the whole thing was horrible. She was in for uh, two months. Um, they did a tracheostomy and one day she opened her eyes and was able to communicate with her husband. A couple of days later, she was sitting in a chair for 45 minutes. Um, and 
So this is uh, after after you got her treatment. You, so you got her better treatment, got off the ventilator, right? No, no, she died. She had a she had an ongoing infection, and they said that they had done everything that they could to treat. Uh, she had a complex pneumonia, and I was sending the the family information literature on on different therapeutics, but they said that that they wouldn't work. So um, she ended up dying. In other words, why try something when you could try nothing, right? You know, that's that's always better, Um, especially after already a year, year and a half, and then two years of of seeing the logical end to doing nothing with all this stuff. Um, Wow! So that's that's pretty crazy. Um, Before we get to you know where where the hospital started going after you, um, just for our audience' sake, because I know we spent a ton of time on this last year. The months of August, September, October, November, I would say, of 2021, were the worst. I mean, that was whatever you want to call it. I think it's the Pfizer juiced up Delta variant. It was extremely thrombotic, extremely inflammatory, extremely multifaceted, complex, very quick moving, too. And that thing was really, really hard to treat. A tremendous amount of people, even if they didn't die, did have their blood oxygen level drop from that version of the virus. What did you find were your all-star players in general that worked the best, you know, when someone's oxygen level started to drop? High-dose steroids. Whoa. Okay, that's interesting. And when you say that, you mean methylpred? Methylprednisolone. Yeah, you need something that's got got good lung penetration, and, and the studies are pretty ubiquitous on methylprednisolone. Um, but... I I also had them nebbing using a nebulizer and nebulizing butesonide and and if I could get a hold of it acetylcysteine uh, butesonide the combination of butesonide nebulized butesonide and and higher dose corticosteroids or methylprednisolone uh, I mean I had people that were satting in the mid 70s low 70s within 45 minutes their numbers would bump up by 10. And once we got a full regimen in, um, I mean, we got them on supplemental oxygen also, but instead of needing high flow oxygen in an ICU, they were on two or three liters at home as we were able to stabilize everything and get appropriate therapies for them. And, you know, I'm thinking of one woman in particular that called and she, she just, she was so, you know, she had COVID brain. She, I don't know how long her oxygen had been in the 70s. Um, you know, and everybody's like, you have to send her to the ER. Like, she has to call 911. And, and she was a, a mother of patients of mine. And I, she was just an amazing woman. And I'm like, if, I, if she calls 911, she, she's not going to come home. They're going to kill her. Um, and I saw her at church like a week and a half later. And it's... It's just, it's hard, you know, because I've, I've had, I don't know how many hundreds of people like that, and it just took a little bit of time, right? Like, it just, like, it, it, it's a life, you know, I mean, so I'm going to, you know, you go to church and hear these stories, like, yeah, we lost a church member, 42, you know, it was really sad. And I'm like, that's not sad, that's tragic, like, that's freaking tragic. Yeah. Like, that's not sad, that's. That's an unnecessary, completely avoidable death. 
if somebody would have done freaking yes. something, just anything. Yes. I, I mean, we all agree so, that the virus was a bioweapon, so it had some nasty elements with the furin cleavage of the spike to really screw people over. Um, there's no question about that. But at the end of the day, the notion that so many, particularly, particularly middle-aged, <clears throat> healthy, otherwise pretty healthy people should die from some sort of respiratory distress, um, you know, various forms of pneumonia, is, is utter nonsense. And what I'm get, getting from you, and this is why I want to go back to this, uh, we haven't done a show like this in, in a number of months, but I think it's, it's still relevant, that you're saying you don't even have to get fancy with the real off-label innovative things, hydroxy, ivermectin, nidazoxanide, metformin, um, and then other like you know newer drugs for respiratory distress like Avitadil, you're talking about on label. This is not off label. Straight up on label. If you have someone with respiratory distress, nebulized budesonide, the topical steroid, and then the better steroid that's for pulmonary. So, and they and the thing is, it's not that they didn't know this. They knew this because they were giving them dexamethasone in the hospital, but it was the wrong steroid at the wrong dose at the wrong time when it was too late. You do outpatient much earlier, and you do higher methylpred, and you're saying that did it for you. Well, and I, I certainly wasn't gonna gonna roll the dice and just do that. I would I use you know high doses of vitamin D and, and C and zinc and quercetin and glutathione and melatonin. I do quite high doses of melatonin uh, because it's a very potent immunomodulator. And it also helps, you know, this is a circulatory virus and the clotting was a huge, you know, huge aspect of this. So, you know, aspirin, uh, natokinase, um, I mean, we had to work with people because they'd have pills. You, you actually used natokinase? Um, you used natokinase? Yeah, so yes. for our audience, that's a right. That's a broad-spectrum anticoagulant. It's, it is over-the-counter. You could buy it. Um, that tells me you're really like the A-team because only a few people knew about that and used that. So you really, I mean, again, all these medical doctors, you know, with advanced degrees and everything, they didn't know from any of this. You studied all of this, figured it out. Um, so generally speaking, when you're able to get your hands on the patient outpatient, what was your typical result? Uh, I'll say prior to the rollout of the April, things changed. April of 2021, things changed. It, I started having patients not rebound as quickly. Normally, you know, once I got treatment out, my follow-ups were, you know, two, three days later, how are you doing? Great. (laughs) Back at work. I mean, it was ubiquitous. I think I had a couple out of, you know, I don't, out of, you know, four or 500, I had a couple that, I had to kind of grind it out and and start adding things. But once April, May hit, um, I remember telling my wife, I'm like, what the (laughs) hell is going on? Like, this is, you know, I didn't have many people desatting until April. And and I I remember telling her, I'm like, it's that damn shot. It's messing everything up. I called the shot the Delta virus. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really synonymous with that. It's when we had the critical mass of the uptake of the shot. 
is clearly when it got it got utterly insane. Typically, viruses mutate down, which ultimately it appears like it did, assuming it's real and they didn't release it. So that's what you did. Now, talk about, um, for, first off, roughly how many do you think you treated? Do you have a number? Uh, I think a thousand or so. Directly, I mean, just where where it wasn't me directing directing care through people that would call me and ask what what do we do or how do we help our neighbor where they had sure. the medications about twenty five twenty four twenty five hundred wow conservatively. okay that that's a tremendous tremendous amount um, so rather than the state and county officials there in Washington saying hey what's this guy doing that everyone else is not let's find out and uh, giving you an award um describe the circumstances that led to you being suspended um by the state medical board well i i received a letter from the the chief of medicine from peace health southwest urging me to stop spreading disinformation or misinformation and that what I was doing was not following evidence-based medicine or, you know, the CDC guidelines or the top health, you know, agencies and basically that, you know, I was doing a disservice to the community and to basically be a team player. It was a certified letter I got from and I... I, I post, I, I pinned it up and I, I just, it just cracked me up because, um, it, it, like, wouldn't you be curious, right? If you were, if you were, you know, the head of the hospital that, that, you know, that was losing all of these patients <clears throat> that when families would call and ask me to advocate as somebody is, you know, late stage and, 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 you know, in a roundabout way, we were able to get quite a few of them out of the hospital. They just didn't know how. Yep. But um, I would think that, I mean, if it were me, I'd be really curious. Like, wow, what, what's yep. this guy doing? Why are, why are there articles about what he's doing and, and people talking about it? It was... It was uh, just a full-out assault, an attack. The pharmacies, pharmacists, the doctors were, you know, filing complaints with, with the medical board um, that I was interfering with patient care, that I was um, practicing medicine below the standard of care, that I was harming people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a big binder of of the complaints and I'll read through them because it's, I mean, if the reality weren't what it was where, you know, they did an emergency suspension, I mean, it, it, it was pretty funny reading the complaints because they weren't from patients. It was just random, random groups of people would get together and, you know, read and, you know, a, a kind of a slam piece on me, how I claim to treat COVID and, you know, as opposed to just saying, you know, there's treatments. But uh, it was it was interesting to have that kind of 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was a little Sure. And, and was this, so you believe it was astroturfed. It was organized. Um, it wasn't organic, obviously, because it wasn't from patients. It was from doctors, pharmacists. They didn't like that you were debating them. They didn't like what you were posting publicly. So when did you get the suspension letter? I, res- uh, well, technically it was October 12th, but I got COVID on October 10th and then my wife got it. And so I, I took care of her, took a day. And so I got to my office on October 15th with a full clinic and, and uh, I opened up this big, big manila you know, folder and our packet and I saw the attorney general and and uh, my notice of emergency suspension. And and was it a specific thing that precipitated it, or it was like death by a thousand cuts? I was asked if I would advocate for a patient that went into the hospital, and uh, the wife had reached out to an attorney to get an injunction to try and get him medications. He was put on a ventilator, and I ended up going on Alex Jones with her, and shortly after that, I was I had met with local, uh, like, like a friend of mine who's running for Congress, and and I just I told her that this this fall and winter is going to be brutal. Like we're going to unnecessarily lose a lot of community members if we don't figure out how to take matters into our own hands and just educate the community and get information out to as many people as we can. So we were, you know, I was talking at churches and I had given a, a talk on like October 9th, I think. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was a pretty big group. Was, I mean, it was a pretty packed church. Um, and I was talking about the hospitals and how to do, you know, prepare if you do have to go into the hospital, having power of attorney, what to, you know, an absolute of, you know, what to not do, not to, you know, no remdesivir, no baricitinib, no ventilators. Uh, and I think that based on what the doctor who decided that that it was best for me to be out of the picture, uh, it, it was kind of that as I was speaking out more and sharing what my experiences were in talking to the hospitals and and putting a, a you know shining a light on the just, just I called it their death protocol um, I, I think they're I think they're getting nervous so they wanted to shut me they up. wanted to shut you up this is very important because I'm trying to get to the bottom of this there's one thing if you did a certain action that they didn't like, and even if you believe they're wrong, but it's more than that. It's What I'm gathering from your story is that they were upset you were speaking out because other people did what you did, um, but you really tried to publicize it because you, know, you wanted to save as many people, and that's what they didn't like. So this is what's so chilling, that it's, it's speech, it's dissent, um, and this is going to reverberate beyond medicine. This, this is, you know, just like in Nazi Germany, there were 15% of doctors were Jewish and they were drummed out of the business in, in the 30s. So here, it's not going to target a particular religion or, or race or whatever, but political views or, or, or even scientific views. If you have different views 
even if you don't do anything wrong. It's not like you prescribed uh, or gave a non-FDA-approved drug. These are all very safe, common FDA-approved drugs. Uh, you did nothing wrong. You were suspended. And so, to be clear, it's not just that you lost your license. You your business got destroyed because you're you're the primary provider in in your practice your wife i know is a nurse um so did you have to file for bankruptcy yeah that was <clears throat> yeah in march you had to file for bankruptcy um which that was awesome uh not, not i had just just turned 49 and i joked to my wife and it was like not not something that I thought I would be doing, you know, when I mean, we had a pretty thriving practice and, and just a lot of awesome support in the community. So, you know, I hadn't anticipated it disappearing. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, the only thing that, that I, you know, people say, what could you have done differently and stuff like that, but it, I, mean, I could have not yeah. spoken out. Um, I could just kept my head down and done what I was doing, <clears throat> but I I don't know the number. So many hundreds and hundreds of people. When I would say, how did how did you hear about me in Michigan? How did you hear about me in Tennessee or Florida or Arizona? And it would be like, well, I have a aunt in Oregon or Idaho that has a friend in Washington and they heard, you know, they read something about you, even if it was negative, right? Because there are times that I would do something, even though I knew that it was going to get negative publicity, but they were saying, you know, like mocking me that <clears throat> I claim to be able to do this and this, but the, the amount of people that came across that information and realized, wow, like there is treatment. Um, it's yep. just, it makes my heart happy. For you, that, that was everything. It was worth it. And even though you could have saved lives quietly, but you felt you were able to do more publicly, and that's what got you into trouble. Again, even though, even according to their rules, you did nothing wrong. Um, two more things I want to cover, uh, just, you know, because we're, we're running out of time here. But I, I want them to hear what happened with you with the monoclonal antibodies because to demonstrate just how maniacal this war on treatment was, the monoclonals were approved even for you know directly for COVID. They're produced by Big Pharma, so you know you'd think that would be okay. So you jumped right into it. Describe what happened to you with that. Um, oh yeah, with <clears throat> like later on, like with my wife. No, with your clinic offering the monoclonals. Oh, so when when I found out that that I was suspended, uh, I, I I had an ex ICU nurse that was that had some pretty horrible experiences throughout the two years, and so <clears throat> she came to volunteer, and and we ended up turning the clinic into a monoclonal antibody infusion center. So uh, uh, all <clears throat> covered by a licensed physician, et cetera, and so. Um, yeah, so we were, I, I was just doing administrative work. I wasn't treating or anything, but, um, yeah, we were able to, uh, I, hundreds of people uh, that we were able to, to get care to. 
Um, and they'd come from all over the state because they'd been denied monoclonals or their primary care had dropped them because they hadn't gotten inoculated. So, um, yeah, it was it was a huge blessing to be able to do that. The problem is, <clears throat> you know, just random complaint that, you know, Miller supporters are driving around the back of the clinic and, and you know, I was told this is just a random, you know, just a, a citizen in the in the you know in the city that sends a complaint to the to the medical board that we are giving black market yeah. or counterfeit monoclonals because there's no way we could have some because the hospitals barely had any. Um, but that's because they, they don't, don't want to. Have to. Any. You wanted and to. You went and got them. And they were saying, oh, he was suspended, and he's, like, doing some black market prescriptions there. And really, you had the nurse who was, you know, able to do it, um, administer the monoclonals while while no one else was interested. So, again, so people know it's not about ivermectin. It's not about hydroxychloroquine. It's they wanted to make sure anything that could possibly work wouldn't be done, which is, which is pretty unbelievable um, if you think about it. And it ties back into the next version of what's going on. You have, we have about five, six minutes here. I want you to give as much information as you can on what is currently circulating and how to treat it. So it's not clearly like what it was last year, which was really, really bad, very thrombotic, the blood oxygen level dropping. Um, with Omicron, that pretty much, you know, most of that stopped. And then you have all these other versions, which is hard to tell what's what's that, what's the vaccine shedding, what's immune suppression. It's hard to tell what's going on. Could you describe sim- symptom the symptomology of what you're seeing now and the best way to uh, detect it and get ahead of it? This uh, GI, I think, is, is one of the things that we're seeing. A lot of gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal issues. So um, <clears throat> abdominal pain, cramping, uh, diarrhea. Um, you still have the the body aches, uh, intense headaches. Um, there's still the I call, you know brain fog, COVID brain fatigue. Um, <clears throat> the the respiratory issues aren't. You're correct. I mean, not nearly what we saw last summer and fall. Uh, but uh, January was probably the third scariest month. I experienced in terms of acute, I mean, people ad, asking me to advocate. I, I had more, I had more hospital calls in January than the entirety mm. of COVID combined. Um, it was, I, I had a little breakdown cause it was, it was so hard to, to help these, to help them. I mean, we, we got about 10 or 11 of them out of the ICU, but the amount of time, and ingenuity that it took to do it. It was, it was, it was stressful. Is you know. And anyways, but um, you know, it's same same principle. I mean, make COVID boring, right? Just the the prophylactic uh, prophylactic treatments. You know, doing. You know, so many people are vitamin D deficient, and they don't know it. And if you Google vitamin D in the immune system or vitamin D in depression or vitamin D in whatever, it blows your mind how absolutely important vitamin sure. D is uh, along with zinc. 
Um, but, but, but real quick, if you can kind of go through part, some of the things that are working the best, you're telling me it's a lot of GI, so it seems okay. to be very different. Um, how, how does that, you know, where is that coming from, and, and what sort of treatments speak to that? I have, so I consult quite a bit with with providers, and so, or, you know, just when they're asking me questions, so I'll just say anecdotally. Um, the like, ondansetron, Zofran, uh, is a, a 5-HT2C, so it's an anti-serotonergic, uh, so it helps to calm down the gut even if you don't have nausea or vomiting. Uh, ciproheptadine, which is an antihistamine uh, and anti-serotonergic. Um, famotidine, which is over-the-counter, which is a... So that, that's Pepsid, and, and, and the dosage is 80, 80 milligrams yep. a day? 40 okay. milligrams twice a day. <clears throat> and that, I've, I've heard, can be very effective at helping. And, and just in general, the inflammation. You know, histamine isn't talked, or I, I haven't heard many. Dr. Chetty has spoken about it quite a bit. But, but the mast cell activation or, or the excess histamine is a, is a huge factor in this. And so, you know, things that we can do, like quercetin, um, um, vitamin C, things that calm down that, that histamine, Zyrtec for crying out loud. I would have people taking 10, milligram, you know, 10 milligrams of Zyrtec twice a day or Benadryl or hydroxyzine mm. at night. Um, so I, I, I found that effective while I was licensed and in hearing feedback, uh, I found that that was very effective for people. Got it. And ivermectin, listen, ivermectin, was almost a monotherapy until Delta. Yeah. spring of 2021. Like ivermectin works for a myriad of, of viruses. My wife had, you know, a cough and some post nasal drip, and I was like, take some ivermectin, and it was gone the next day. You know, was it that or some of the other things that she did? But it's just, it's just, uh, it's this whole thing about hepatotoxicity is so idiotic. Sure, sure. So that's still a player, even with what we're seeing now. Um, so, again, I guess it's sore throat, headache, sometimes fever, but more GI than before, yeah. less respiratory, um, so, you know, you don't have that danger. So, I'm assuming you don't go in with anticoagulants with this? I, I, because of, because so many of these, so many of these people have had, had the, had the shots, I mean, many of the people that have reached out that I've, that I've, you know, directed to get care have been, you know, double jabbed and boosted. So um, always, just in general, you want to make sure because of the clotting is is still the biggest concern I have, or micro clots. So it might not be respiratory, but cardiac, the fatigue. Um, so you know whether it's natokinase or or N-acetylcysteine, which decreases platelet aggregation. Um, aspirin, uh, I think, is is like anybody that's had the shot should be at least on low dose aspirin and doing doing some other forms of prophylaxis for got clotting. It. Got it. So you're going to keep us updated as time goes on. Uh, August is the hearing about your license. Uh, let me ask you this to close up shop here. Why wouldn't you just leave the state and go to Florida or somewhere like that and try to practice there? 
Well, I, I got a letter from my attorneys, and I've written a letter, and I, I reached out to, you know, Oklahoma, you know, like states where there's common sense. Um, there's, uh, there, I guess, uh, this is, yeah, I'm sitting in my office right now, you know, it's empty, but um, looking out at my town and um, you're attached to it. My, my, yeah. And my fight wasn't just that. I mean, it was with the, what's going on in our schools sure. and, and, and working with different groups to, you know, really educate the community with what is happening in our schools and the devastation that they, they you know, just in general, the COVID caused But then you've got the critical race stuff that's just getting shoved down, you know, our throats in our community. And, and so, I mean, just, I think globally, my, you know, I, I started this practice, you know, here in Washougal and, and this is, I mean, this is my home and, um, I, 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 I love my sure. community and, you know, running to another state isn't, you know, I can't support they've and they've been so unbelievably generous and supportive. I mean, I haven't worked in October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, eight months. So, I mean, I, I haven't been inert for eight months, but you know, I haven't been able to practice wow. for eight months. And, and, and so they've just been so generous in, in helping sustain my family. And so I think the other aspect is I, I need to honor those people that helped you honor that. I, I definitely understand that. that. So we got to stand and fight. And that's why I need everyone to help out. <clears throat> Go to the give, send, go page of reinstate, uh, yeah. Reinstate Scott Miller, PA. Um, <clears throat> I could only imagine the, the practice, the legal fees. Um, this is, this is pretty <laughs> crazy that you're, you know, losing so much when you should be world renowned for everything you've done. Um, we're we're going to have to leave it at that, but we're going to pray for you. We hope everyone donates generously and keep us updated. And folks, if you want to to email him questions, um, email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. You know where to find me. I could pass on questions to uh, Scott, our super doctor really here. Um, and uh, we really appreciate everything you've done. It's funny. COVID has brought out the worst in people. But it's also brought out the the best in people, and I've been blessed to meet so many great people that went the extra yard, and and you went an extra football field because you gave it all out to treat people. God bless you for your efforts, and and please keep us updated. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for your time and for everything that you're doing. I just have to say I'm I'm a PA because uh, if I don't say that, then there will be a complaint that I didn't correct you, even though you've been CPA. Sure. That's so why I, I said know, super I doctor, because you're not you're not a doctor. You're a super doctor who actually studies the literature, um, studies the symptomology, and leaves no patient behind the care, compassion. That's what it's all about. Uh, yes, we will definitely follow up on this. Take care. And folks, we are at a time here. Next week, I will be gone, uh, but we will still have shows most of the days, a little bit behind schedule, so bear with me. Um, look, it's really heartbreaking what happened to him. I've never met a guy quite like that. He's almost like a suicide bomber. That All he wants to do is treat people. He's actually helping a listener to this show now in Arizona who's dealing with a medical kidnapping situation. 
And despite him being in hot water, he has no problem getting on the phone and advocating, debating, uh, you know, hospital nurses and doctors. He's truly unbelievable. I've, I've met few people who know as much as he does, and he's not even a doctor. And that's a whole other story. He's really had a very hard life. He's had injuries and everything, um, which is why he never was able to become a full doctor, uh, even though his knowledge is, is well beyond what most doctors are. So this is, this, this is what we need. It's people like that that are going to make the difference. Everyone's like, oh, if I would have been in Nazi Germany in 1930, I would have stood up. Really? You, you would have done what this guy did? And again, all he's doing is speaking out and saying, hey, let's care for patients. Let's treat them with known science of treating viruses, inflammation, respiratory distress, and, and uh, blood clotting. Um, and that's his crime. That is his crime. It's not even so much the, the vaccines or whatever. And you saw they, they were going after him for even uh, giving the monoclonals, which is, which is truly unbelievable. So again, uh, take some of that advice to heart. Um, look it up yourself. It's not personal advice, but gener- generally this is what he's saying works for him in the current versions especially those who got the shots, seem to be more immune-suppressed, as we've been noting. So uh, these are all things to look up and do your own research. Empower yourself. Have a terrific weekend. Till next time, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.